good morning. <clears throat> I'd like to start out. Well, thank you, Yanto, for all and the musicians. Thank you for uh, Daniel and Aaron, and their brother Angelo would have been up there with them. It's three of them, and the babies are on the way. And Angelo had his first, so that's why Yanto is saying this family is really taken off. Um, I'd like to uh, introduce my family to you, uh, starting with um, my sisters and my brother-in-law, Joan and Bonnie and, and Jerry. Could you guys stand up and wave? <clears throat> These are my sisters, and we grew up in Miami, Florida, so we know what it's like to be hot. Okay, and, and then in reverse order, <clears throat> Bonnie... And Chris, and you guys, this is my daughter and her husband and their kids. Come on. Indy? Indy. Indy. Oh, wait, I'm mixed up. Okay, Caroline and B. And where's Liam? Oh, you already stood up. Okay. Stand up there. Yeah. Okay. And then my middle son, Brian and Corley, and their, and their guys. Come on. Okay. And now Eric and the Davis 8. Okay. Okay. Come on, stand up. Oh, he is standing up. Okay. <laughs> so if you counted that... What? Oh, yeah, Bonnie and George. Marcia's sister... Marcia's sister and brother-in-law, and George, her brother, you guys. That's when they say last but not least. If you kept count, there's 12 grandchildren, and uh, so and 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 it's a special uh, week for us because it's Marcia and I's 50th wedding anniversary, and and so. <laughs> So the Angelos, you got to do your homework to keep up with us. The Francis, I should say. Uh, so uh, if I could get the first slide, what we're going to talk about today is the gospel, uh, which is literally translated the good news. And um, actually, it's pretty interesting because there are really four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on the next slide. And that's pretty interesting because those, there are four books dedicated to the life of Christ. So it must be pretty important. But why are there four books? Well, if you take a look into it, what you see is uh, in Matthew, it's really written to the Jewish people at the time. Um, and the Jewish people were interested in looking at the Scripture, at prophecy, seeing where did, did this Jesus come from? What's his lineage? Is he the Messiah? And, and that's what they were hungry for. And Matthew talks to that. From a Jewish background, it's, it's uh, straightforward for them to follow through that. And then there's the book of Mark. Well, Mark was really written to the, uh, to the Romans. And if you recall, the Roman world had enveloped all of Europe, really, in, including the Middle East. So the, they were actually being operated by the government of the Romans. And so the book of Mark speaks to the Romans who were interested in authority and power and action. And you find that in the book of Mark. And then Luke uh, really 
is written to the Greeks. And the Greeks of the day were intellectuals. And what they were after was really, they were looking at culture, they were looking at truth. And they were looking at really, what are the facts that surround this? And, and that's the way the book of Luke is written. And then there's the book of John. And the book of John is really written to everyone. And so it's easy to look back and say, yeah, that's what they thought and that's where their minds were and so on. But if we take the next slide and look at now, in Matthew, it's really for if people want to look into the Scripture to find God, they can certainly find Him there. And there are certain people that, if you look at all of us, there are different cultures here, especially, I mean, we've got people from, of course, Bonaire, but uh, Yanto and his family is from Suriname. And we have Dutch here. Of course, they settled it, right? I mean, the Dutch uh, have the authority. And then there are Americans here. And so we come from these different cultures that look at things in different ways. And so in order to reach people that are looking in different ways, we're given four Gospels. And four Gospels are, are even now uh, available for us to look at from different perspectives. Because it's hard to capture the person of Christ and to capture God with just one string of thought. So knowing that, God gave us four. And so Angelo, who's the brother of these two musicians who are up here on the next slide, gave us some uh, um, symbols. And interestingly enough, uh, Angelo chose to preach on the Gospel about four weeks ago. And he used these symbols, and I, I hadn't really seen them before, but they're pretty good. So what are the Gospels, what are they doing? Well, they're revealing the Creator God in heaven who really loves us, and He made the first move to come to us in Jesus to reestablish a relationship. We're going to talk a little bit about relationship today. And so these were symbols that He followed through, and I asked Him, you know, that's really cool. I'd like our two sermons to dovetail. So the first one is that, that God is in heaven and He really loves us. He always has and He always will. But we're separated from Him. And there's a division and we'll speak to that. And then there's Jesus. And, and as a young man, I had no idea what, what, is, what was Jesus all about. I, I revered God and I knew God was out there because... How else do we have all this creation? I, I was into making things, and I never saw things come together with chaos. I saw things come together with hard work and knowledge and, and, and so on. And that's the way God said He made this creation through wisdom. And I see that. And then I found out later I was in pretty good company because Einstein said, hey, I started out as an atheist, but the more I dug into it, Einstein says, the more I saw the orderliness in the whole universe, and he goes, the only way that could be there is there was a superior being orchestrating it. So I felt pretty good that Einstein and I at least lined up on that. <laughs> right? so, uh, so what I'd like to look at this morning then of the four Gospels is really the book of John. Because in only the first three chapters, John really takes off and I'm going to start my timer here so I don't bore everybody for too long. And I'm already, I should have started it already, so if you guys are keeping track. Uh, okay. And um, 
I need a little bit of water. So if you guys will open up your Bibles, if you have it, if you don't, you've got these things. If you don't have that, just listen. <clears throat> um, he starts out in the book of John. It's interesting because in Matthew, Matthew starts out with genealogies. This guy begat this guy that begat this guy and all the way back. And he goes from Adam all the way to Jesus through genealogies, including Moses and Abraham and all that. The Jewish people were really interested in that. And in, in the book of Mark, he starts out with action. In the book of Mark, uh, they say and about 1,300 times. Jesus did this and Jesus did that. And then Jesus did this and then he did that. It's full of action. Uh, in, in Luke, it starts out with the birth of Christ, and it gives you the history of how Christ was born, and that's what we read at Christmas time. Luke chapter 2 tells you historically who was ruling the Roman, who, who was Caesar at the time. He tells you that. He details that. John doesn't do that. It's what's interesting. What John does blows your mind, so try to get this. Ready? This is John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Are you ready? All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Let me give you that from another perspective that we find in Colossians. Same subject. This is a little bit more color. He, it's the same He, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him, in him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So what we're talking about here is not just some concept. It's He. And who's the He? He's the He that made all this stuff. Through Him, it was everything was made. John says, without Him, nothing was made that is made. So we're talking about a pretty special guy here, the Word. So he goes on. You don't have to read very far. And it's interesting. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So within Him was life, and this is where life came from. Living things come from living things. Parents have children, and then children become parents and have children, and so on. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Life comes from life, and His life was the life of men. Our lives came from God, ultimately. But then, right off the bat, in the first chapter, he starts talking about there's light and there's darkness. Um, and so on, it says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, 
yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. So what it's saying is, Jesus who made the world was rejected by men who couldn't bear his goodness, and therefore they didn't receive him. Up to this point, everything was fine. So what happened? What was it? Well, in the third chapter, Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and he says, and this is a judgment. The light came into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what's true comes to the light so that it can be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what happened was, in summary, God shows up on planet Earth in a human body with flesh and blood, but he was rejected, even though he was one of us. Perhaps they were just uninformed. Surely, if he showed up today, he'd be widely accepted. Do you think? I don't think so. He was rejected for a very fundamental reason, that men are not basically good. In fact, just the opposite is true. What John is telling us is men prefer darkness rather than light. So, okay, and so Jesus, he knew this, and it says, and Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So now, what does the Scripture say about that? And here comes the hard part. You said I was going to give you good news. Well, the best way to get good news is when you know you're in trouble. If you're not in trouble, good news is like, eh, I was okay anyway. But if you're in deep trouble, and my, my brother-in-law had a scare. Uh, he, the doctors were thinking there was something really wrong with him. And it was freaking him out like it would me. And then he went back and they revealed the tests that it, it wasn't true. He was really okay. Which I'm sure was a huge relief. Which I know it would be for me. So you thought you were in trouble there, but you really weren't, and that was a relief. And that's a, that's a good thing. So what trouble are we in? What does the Scripture say? Well, in the Old Testament in Isaiah, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. In Ezekiel, it says, The soul that sins, it will surely die. In, this, in the psalm, uh, the psalmist said this, and when I heard this, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. It said this, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. Then he says, there is none who does good, not even one. And I was thinking, maybe I'm the one. Scripture says, no, not even you, Rick. And in my, really, in my heart of hearts, I knew that anyway. And then in Romans, it says the wages of sin is death. And it says all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know there's a person in here that, knew, that heard that, and she said she remembered the person saying all. And that meant she was part of the all. Like when I heard it, no, not one. Oops, that would be me. Not even me. And then it says in Jeremiah something that's even more troubling. It says the heart is deceitful and desperately corrupt. Who can know it? And then in Isaiah, all of your righteousness that you think you have in your, in your own doing is like filthy rags. 
in God's perspective. So no matter how, how much I dig on the hamster wheel to create righteousness on my own, it just doesn't count. Okay? That sounds bleak. Maybe you doubt that people are not just okay. So I thought about it and I thought, well, what happens when you go to the airport? We get searched for weapons. Even the, even the kids, everybody gets searched for weapons. Are you going to blow up the airplane? Right? At the airport today. You go to the airport, you go to get on an airplane, you're going to get searched. How many people have a car key? Why do you have the car key? Did you lock your cars? Okay, why did you lock your car? You're afraid somebody is going to take something out of the car or take the car. What about your house key? Did you lock your house? Why did you lock your house? Well, somebody might come in and take stuff. Does your bank account have a number on it in terms of a password that you can't remember? Why is that? Because somebody wants to hack into your account, right? Or, um, since the beginning of recorded history, there have been wars and rumors of wars, even though we hate war and sending young men to war. That's the state we're in. So then, bringing it to you, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever not done the right thing? When you were a kid, did you ever hurt your sibling on purpose? I got to say, uh, yeah, I, I actually did that because my sister's sitting here. And the argument was over a train set. And the train set was four feet wide by four feet wide. It was huge. And we had a little living room. And at Christmas time, I wanted that train set in the living room by the Christmas tree. And reasonably so, she said, Rick, it's too big. Well, we got Christmas tree and we got gifts and you want the train set there. Can't you put it in the back porch? No. I want the train set in the living room. The train is supposed to go around the Christmas tree. And so I go to get the train set. And I remember this to this day. She comes from the house and we meet in the front yard. And she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting the train set. She says, no, you're not. You're not going to put it in there. Well, what did I do? I hauled off and I punched her right in the gut. And she doubles over and, and I went, oh, I hurt my sister. And fortunately, she's got enough grace to have forgiven me. But I knew it was wrong and it wasn't just wrong to her. It was also wrong to him because I'm not supposed to act like that. So I, did, I, 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 I hurt the relationship in two ways to my sister, which is a horizontal thing, and to my God. That wasn't a loving thing to do. And that's what He wants me to be about. Okay, so, have you ever done anything as a kid to hurt your sibling? Or disappoint them? Okay. So wait a minute, Rick. I thought you said the Gospel is good news. You're depressing us. Well, what it is, it's, it's about the Gospel is about what God has done to reconcile us back to Himself. Because like it said, Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that when He showed up. That's why He showed up. So here it is. In the, in the, uh, the good news begins here. And, and we all know the verse, John 3.16. But what it preceded, what preceded John 3.16? And if we could have the next slide, it's kind of a bizarre story. And, and the story goes like this. <clears throat> Here's the account from the book of Numbers. Actually, 
the parting words that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who was a rabbi, who came to him by night secretly to hear, hey, we know you're a teacher sent from God. What's up with this? Jesus tried explaining it. Nicodemus didn't get it. And so the final sentence of Jesus to Nicodemus was this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now here's the story in the book of Numbers. From Mount Hor they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food here and there's no water, and we hate this worthless food you keep feeding us, the manna from heaven that was coming up that they could eat every day. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents, not just normal serpents. These are fiery serpents. Those things. They must have had little flames coming out of their heads or something. I don't know. But fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He takes away these serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole and hold this pole up so that people can see it. And whoever is bitten, God tells Moses, when he sees it, they shall live. So Moses took a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole like they show. And if the serpent bit anyone, if he would then look at the bronze serpent, he would live. Now that sounds crazy. But when I shared that with Angelo right after his sermon, I said, do you know what's right before John 3.16? And I shared it and he goes, wow. He said what Jesus was really saying is the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and if we look at Him in faith, not works, we'll be saved. So in this bizarre account of rebellion against God and His prophet, Jesus foretells His being lifted up on a cross to pay for our sins. As the Israelis were bitten and dying, if they through faith looked at the bronze serpent, they would live. Similarly for us, with those who are dying in sin, which is actually all of us, because it says there's nobody that hasn't sinned, if they look to the cross of Christ in faith, they will live. If they look to Him. Um, so then John goes on to elaborate in the very next verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he goes on. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, he's condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that's the good news. God made the first move. He came to us. If we try to take our works and go upward, it doesn't work. That's just religious works. Christianity is God coming to man. And, and, and making the first move. But He had to do two things for us. One, He had to forgive us of our sins. And two, He then restored our relationship. So what I didn't realize was really the Ten Commandments, which we sometimes call the Big Ten, they're all relational. 
Think about it. They're not just hard rules. They're relational. The first four are vertical. The first four are love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Try doing that sometime because of the word all. <laughs> not easy. Second one, don't put things in front of us. Don't, don't put an idol between yourself and God. Don't get distracted by things of this world and love them more than you love me. God says, because I want your love to be with me. I want you to love me. And then he says, don't take my name in vain. In fact, it says, I will hold him guiltless. Who takes, I will hold him, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. And I got to tell you, uh, I took his name in vain a lot growing up. I'm not proud of that, but I did. And that's one thing I knew once I understood who Jesus was and what he did, it stopped. It's a good thing. Those are three things that are vertical. Uh, the fourth thing that's vertical is he said, take the seventh day off. He said, I made this whole creation in six days and then I rested. It'll be good for you to rest. It'll be good for you to love me. It'll be good for you not to put things between me and you. It'll be good for you not to take my name in vain. And it'll be good for you to take a day off work, rest, be with your family, think about me, do what you're doing here. Those are four things that are vertical. Now comes the part that's horizontal. And these are so simple. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Those are all relational. If I lie, it affects my relationship to you. Have you guys ever known a person that lies all the time? They end up being pretty lonely because they lose all their friends. Because they lie to them all the time. It's not good. It's not good to steal. I learned that when I was in about second grade. Yeah, I did. I learned that. Because we're in class and the guy right over here had this cool red pencil. I told some of you this, but some of you hadn't heard this. And this, I had a bunch of beat up yellow pencils, but he had a cool red pencil. So at recess, when he got up and left his desk, I took his red pencil and I stuck it in my desk. And nobody saw me. Teacher didn't see me. None of the other students see me. I got that red pencil. Now it was my red pencil. I stole it. So when school was over, I slipped it in my backpack and I'm walking home. And it hit me. Uh-oh. I got this red pencil. Mom's going to say, hey, where did this come from? Where'd you get that? Now I'm going to have to lie about it and say, oh, I just found it. Or somebody gave it to me at school, which wasn't true. Or I found it in my room. That wasn't true either. So that theft thing turned into a lying thing too. And I, So here I am walking home from school in my backpack with this red pencil, and I'm miserable. Because what am I going to do with this thing now that I'm going to be found out? If I take it back to the guy, he'll say, well, you stole it. And everybody will know I'm a thief. So I was really conflicted. So here I am walking home, second grade, pencil in my thing. I get, I get back to home and nobody was there, which was good because mom and dad were working and Joan, you were somewhere and Bonnie, you were still in high school or junior high or something. I was in elementary. I went to the backyard. I looked to make sure none of the neighbors were looking I dug a hole and I buried the pencil. I did that. And it's probably still in Miami. And I thought, we're done with this. The pencil's gone. But you know what? 
It wasn't done. I felt horrible inside. I had hurt my classmate by stealing his pencil because when he comes back and he's looking for his pencil, he couldn't find it. Well, I had it, but I didn't tell him that. So he didn't have a pencil for the rest of the day. I hurt him. It wasn't a loving thing to do. And I didn't know it at the time, but I hurt the relationship with God because he said, don't do that. And I did it. And I did it on purpose. And it took years until I was in college when I realized that's what Jesus was for. He was willing to take everything that I did wrong on Him. Here was the God that made everything, who came to earth, and, and I would have not, I would have like, ah, oh, that guy's too good for me, and I'd have been jealous of him. That would have been bad. And it was bad to steal the pencil, but I did it, right? I, it was bad to punch my sister, but I did it. And it was in my conscience. And it didn't feel good. And I couldn't get rid of it until the Scripture conquered me and said, everybody has sinned. Rick, you're not the only one. We're all, we've, we've all done things wrong. And God came to fix that. Now, how did He fix it? He, being completely innocent, was convicted of doing stuff He didn't do and, be, and of being God the king of the Jews, they was convicted of that. Well, what's he going to say? That's who I am, right? And they put him on a cross. But the problem was he didn't have any sin. He had to take my sin, and there was plenty of it. My sin was put on him, and that's what killed him. Rick Davis's sin killed Jesus and your sin and your sin and your sin. In fact, he took the sins of the whole world on him. And that's what the Scripture tells us. It says to us this. If I can find it. Nancy, here. I just had to skip a page. First what He did was He took our sins, then He reconciled us. In Isaiah, listen to this. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took the hit for me on the cross and for you. In Isaiah it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, uh, they will become like wool. In John it says, He is the propitiation or the satisfaction. He paid the debt. He forgave us of our sins, and not just ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And in the psalm, it says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins. So if you really want justice from God, you're not going to like the answer. What you need from God is mercy. So He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him, or respect Him, or revere Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. 
So it is God alone who can and will take our sins away and then reconcile us uh, to Him. And I had, the, I had the privilege of being with one of my grandchildren uh, when they were baptized. And after the baptism, and it wasn't because of the baptism that he said this to me. What it was was because he had a relationship with Jesus and he realized who Jesus was and that Jesus took his sins. And after he was baptized, he looked at me and he said, he said, Grandpa, I feel clean. And I said, you are clean. And you're clean from the inside out. And only Jesus can do that. And I'll never forget him looking at me and saying, Grandpa, I feel clean. In other words, that sin of hitting my sister, the sin of stealing the pencil that I was carrying and feeling guilt and shame, he took that. He said, give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take the hit for you. And he did. He did that. Actually, he paid for all the sins that I will have made in the past, in the future, the whole thing. He took it. Once you believe in Him and that He took your sin, there's no more condemnation. There's no one that can condemn you because He took the hit for you on the cross and He did it willingly. And what He did in doing that, He, re he restored our relationship. And, and uh, He goes further than forgiving our sins. And it says in Corinthians, it says, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at me or you or you in Christ, He doesn't see our righteousness. We didn't have any. He sees the righteousness of Christ because we believe in Him. In Colossians it said, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. And Ephesians, a, a, a verse you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your doing, it's the gift of God. It's not of works so that anyone can boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ for good works. It's His grace that saves us uh, and our faith in that. And, and so those who accept Him, that grace is poured out of them. And then, and then John, and this is the last bit of John that, that I'm going to do here, and it said, hang with me, the Word became flesh. Remember the Word we were talking about that was in the beginning that was with God and that was God? This Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father. For the law was given through Moses. That's the big ten that condemned me and you. But grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. So therefore, what I'm saying is Jesus changed everything. A new era of grace and truth. So what is truth? Conforming to reality. Well, whose reality is it conforming to? It's conforming to the reality of the God that made all of this. Conforming to the reality of the God that makes the sun come up and made the stars. It's His reality. And grace is unmerited favor. And that's what, we, that's what we need. And that's what He pours on us if we only ask Him to. Unmerited favor. He gives us what we don't deserve. So the innocent Lamb of God was nailed on the cross for people to watch Him die. 
but to validate what he had said that was true. And he said the word true 78 times in the Gospel. Over and over again. On the third day, he rose again. And Paul writes, if the account ended there, we would not be here today as Paul writes, if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But as we sung in the song, but God that makes the light shine in the darkness, the way maker, the miracle worker, has power over death. And on the third day, Jesus is raised. And he appeared to more, by the way, he appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection. So the gospel in a word, and I think that's the next slide. And we're almost done. And I think I'm not going too far over, hopefully. Okay, is this. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and was full of grace and truth. He was lifted up before men, giving His life to pave the way for us who look upon Him in faith to forgive us sins and restore our relationship. That's what the Gospel's all about and it's really summed up. And that's why the verse in 3.16 is the most famous verse in the book of John. For God so loved the world that He gave. So God loved... He was loving and is loving to everybody, no matter where you're from, that He gave His only Son. So God is the one giving. He's like a well that's giving. That's the way He wants us to be. A giving well. Not not a sink that's taking and taking, but a well that's giving. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life, because eternal life is simply knowing Him. So the symbols are He loves us. We were divided. He fixed it. The question is, it's like every one of us has a present sitting in the seat beside you. Every one of us. And that present is God's grace to you. His forgiveness for you. The question is, do you want to take it for yourself? Because it's not... There were two thieves on the cross real quick beside Jesus, right? The one is joining right in with everybody else saying, hey, come off the cross and save yourself. And oh, by the way, if you're, if you're the Christ, get off the cross and save yourself and us with you. He was, looking for, he was wanting God to do something for him very self-servingly. The other guy on the other side said, hey, do you hear what you're saying? Don't you fear God? This guy hasn't done anything wrong. We deserve to be where we are. He knew he had no righteousness of his own. He deserved to be strung up. He'd done wrong things and they were getting him. And then he looked, and, and Jesus didn't even answer the first guy. If you're the Christ, take yourself off the cross and save us. He didn't say anything. To the other guy, the other guy looks at him and says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come to your kingdom? And that he answered. He turned to him and he said, This day, you will be with me in paradise. That guy was nailed to a cross. There was no works. He simply recognized Jesus on the cross giving Himself for us. And that's what it took. This day, you'll be with me in paradise. That's a beautiful thing. And that's the very love of God. And remember, Jesus is the way. He said, I am. He said, in, amongst His 78 sayings of the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. That's His job. And He says, I'll never turn anyone away that comes to Me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You for Your love.
We thank You for making the first move and coming to us. We thank You for the fact that You realized we are but dust and that is that we have sinned. We've fallen short of Your Big Ten. But knowing that, You had the grace to love us anyway. And because You loved us first, now we can love You back. And when we love You back, we begin to love others horizontally. And we don't want to do things that hurt them. We want to do things lovingly because of Your Spirit within us. Thank You, Lord, for that. Thank You for sending Your Son for us. We lift these things in Jesus' name. Amen.